Uh, You're joining us in part two of a series called Against All Odds. And in this series, we're looking at different people and situations in the Bible where the odds were stacked against them, where it didn't look good, but God shows up. And here's the whole point of what we see in each and every one of these stories throughout the series is that when God shows up, it causes the people of God to rely more on God. When the odds are against us, we cannot do it on our own, so it causes us, it requires us to rely more and more and more on God. Now, when I say that phrase, against all odds, uh, there's something that comes to mind immediately, at least for me in my context, in my home. Three kid, I have three kids, and my oldest two boys, nine and six, so you can kind of understand a little bit what goes on in my house, but one of the things that happens all the time in our house, it's a show that we watch more than any other show as an entire family, is the show on YouTube, Dude Perfect. You familiar with this? If not, you need to do yourself a favor, go home, get on YouTube, and just search Dude Perfect Trick Shots. It's amazing. It's these guys that were college buddies that have made a living slash killing off of making crazy shots. I mean, just unbelievable shots, basketball, football, baseball. They make up all this crazy stuff, put it on YouTube, and families like ours just eat this thing up. We absolutely love it. But for us, it's not just a show, it's a way of life. And so after the show, our kids are all about... Dad, can we do that trick shot? And I'm like, not exactly like that, but we can come up with our own. And so we do. We put like bowls all around the house. We have cups all around the house. We were throwing footballs over the house a couple weeks ago. And uh, for the most part, it turns out okay, but we never make them, obviously, or else we would be doing what they do and make a lot more and be on YouTube. But it's phenomenal on how our kids just love doing all these trick shots. So since we're in the series Against All Odds, I figured we should do a trick shot here. Like as a church, we should be part of this. So here's what I got. Jason's going to help me out. Jason's right back here. Everybody turn around, wave to Jason. So here's what Jason has. Jason, show him what you got. You've got a small little coffee cup. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take this ping pong ball and I'm going to throw it into that coffee cup. Now, there's a couple rules here, Jason. They're super important, right? You cannot try to catch it because then that would make you a star of this and not me. So don't chase it. Don't try to catch it. You're just going to hold it right in front of you. Okay, so that's like the main rule there. Now, for the rest of you all in like this whole section here, just watch out. Fair enough? I've not practiced this other than first service, which didn't go very well. So I have one more shot, one more chance to make this right. Now, before we do that, I just want to hear what kind of odds I have. How many of you think... You're like, man, I love my pastor. He's a man of God. He is talented beyond anything we've ever seen. And so I believe that he can make this shot. How many of you is that? Thank, man, 11 o'clock is my favorite service. I got one at the 930. One. And I think it was because he felt bad for me. It wasn't even a legit razor. I was like, oh, sure. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I don't feel like I need to ask, but I'm going to ask any Anyway, how many of you think there's no chance, there's no way, I don't care how good you are, there's no way you're going to make that shot? How many of that is you? There's the honest people. There's the honest people. Now let's talk about that because some decisions had to go through your mind. You had a decision-making process to help you decide, yes, he can make that, or no, there's no way he can make that. 
So let's talk logically for a second. So first of all, again, Jason, hold on. That's, that's a small cup, first of all. So many of you are probably thinking, there's no way he's going to make that because that cup is so small. Maybe if we had a larger net, he would have a better chance, but it's an awfully small cup and I'm throwing a ping pong ball, which is awfully small. And I don't even know like aerodynamically if this can even make it that far. Some of you look at me and just say, yeah, he cannot even throw that far. He's not talented enough. He's not competent enough. He doesn't have what it takes to actually make this shot, right? So there's a lot of logic, reasoning that went into, yeah, there's probably no way. So here we go. You want to see if I can actually do this? Now, I'm just saying, like, I agree with those of you that raised your hand the second time. I agree. There's no chance I'm going to make this. But can we just all agree, if I do, that would just be awesome? Can we agree on that? Okay, here we go. Can I get like a drum roll or something? Here we go. Jason, here we go. This is the local church pastor shot. Oh. Hey, can we agree that that was close? Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, I won't be on YouTube anytime soon. Right, but that would have been awesome. And if I had made it, there probably would have been, I mean, a ton of screaming. I mean, we would have just canceled the rest of church and I would have bought you all like pizza. I mean, it would have been great. But there would have been a word that every single one of us would have used. We would have said that that was a luck shot, that that was just lucky. And we say the word lucky when it doesn't match with our logic, Right, so let's go back. Let me make just a few observations about what we all got to be part of here. First and foremost, we kind of wanted it to happen, right? Even if you're like, nope, no way he could do that. There's a part of you that's like, but that would be awesome if it went in, right? It would be so great if that actually happened. I don't think it's going to, but I really hope it does. We love those stories of the one in a million shots. We love the stories of the Cinderella teams and the underdogs that end up making it. We don't think it's going to happen. Oh, but we love those stories. We love the against the odds stories. The other observation has to do with the logic that we talked about, right? The reasoning, the decision-making process of why I don't think he will make it, right? And if you think back again, it was too small of a cup, too far of a distance, incompetent thrower, like all different reasons that led you to a conclusion, no, it will not work work. See, in this case, our logic was actually correct. Based on your logic, the results proved the logic. Now, in a lot of aspects of our lives, that is a great thing. Yes, we should use our head. God gave us a brain. He tells us to ask for wisdom. So we should use our ability to reason and our abilities to have logic. But here's a tension that we will all face, have, and will continue to face. What about the moments when our personal logic doesn't match up to where God's leading? What happens then? When we, we hear what God teaches, but it doesn't make sense to us personally. We don't understand, we don't get it when our logic seems to be different than where God is leading. What happens? What happens when our logic doesn't match, if our logic doesn't match where God is leading. Again, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that everything, everything that God leads us to is totally irrational and not reasonable and you should never think logically. Again, no, he gave you a brain. Please use it. 
But there are times where our logic has a hard time reconciling with where God is leading. Let me give you some examples. Forgiveness. There's nothing logical about forgiveness. You hurt me, the logical thing is for me to hold that against you. That's logical. But we're told to forgive one another. Grace is not very logical at all. To receive something that you don't deserve, that doesn't make any sense. Love. In so many cases, love does not seem very logical. Compassion. The whole idea of caring for somebody else when they're not deserving of it. The very definition of compassion doesn't seem to make sense. It's not very logical. You didn't deserve this, so why would I give this to you? Maybe your choices even led you to the situation you're in. But compassion says it doesn't matter. I will care for you no matter what. Compassion, not very logical. Tithing, giving, we, we talk about trusting God with all aspects of our life, including our finances. So you're telling me God wants me to give money to him and then he will do more with what's left? Like that doesn't make, I didn't learn that in my economics class. That's not how the world works. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Serving, you mean you want me to give up my time and my effort and my energy and use my talents for someone else and I'm going to get fulfilled by that? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem very logical. So there are instances when our logic doesn't seem to match the direction God is leading. So what do we do with that? And what I have experienced, at least in my life, is that gets magnified in difficult situations. When the odds are against you, you tend to make decisions more based on logic than on God's direction. More based on what makes sense to me, what I can wrap my head around, versus what's right in following the ways of God. So that's the tension I want us to wrestle with, and we are going to have to wrestle through it. We're going to wrestle through that in a story out of the book of Judges. If you have your Bible, Judges, Old Testament, Judges chapter 6 is where we're going to be, or at least where we're going to start. And as you're getting to Judges chapter 6, I need to give you some context of the book of Judges. So here's the context, right? Judges, and in fact, the different judges, that's the name of the book, they are all called by God to deliver or rescue Israel. And what we see, if you read through this entire book of Judges, you'll see a cycle, a pattern that happens over and over and over. Here it is right here. What happens is it starts with the, the people of Israel are in peace, but then they decide to go against God. They sin against God. They rebel against him. They do their own thing. So God says, well, if that's what you want to do, we know there's consequences to our actions. There's consequences to sin. So God allows Israel to be oppressed by another nation. So Israel becomes oppressed. They become enslaved. They don't like that very much. So then we go into the next phase of crying out to God. God, we don't like to be enslaved. We want you to rescue us. God, we're so sorry. We repent. We never will do it again. God hears their cries and raises up what we call a judge, a rescuer. Raises up this rescuer to go in and defeat the opposing army and then deliver Israel and everyone is in peace. The people of God are at peace once again until... They decide to fall away from God, do their own thing. They sin, and we see this cycle again and again and again throughout these stories of the judges. The specific story we're going to look at this morning is the story of Gideon. And as we go through his story, I want you to pay attention to the odds that are stacked against him. 
Because he's going to be called by God to rescue the people of Israel. He's the judge. He's going to be the one that delivers them. And the odds are going to be not in his favor. But I want you to pay attention to the tension you feel of what would the common sense thing seem to be? What would my logic tell me? And then what is God leading Gideon and the Israelites to do? And we're going to see that often those are very different. So let's figure out how to wrestle through that. So here's the beginning of the story. Gideon, the judge that is going to be raised up by God to rescue the nation of Israel. Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, talking about Gideon, and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. What a great way to be addressed by an angel. Mighty hero. If I'm Gideon, I'm like, yeah, that's right. Say it one more time. <laughs> Verse 13, sir, Gideon replied. Here's his actual response. Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all these miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Kind of like a, oh, like that, that's his first response. Let me point out a few things. Just you could tell the, the situation and the headspace and the heart space that Gideon was in. The moment the angel of the Lord appeared, Gideon's first response was to say, I don't know if I believe you. He, there was some doubt here. He said, if what you say is true, if the Lord is really with us, and notice, notice this progression because we do the exact same thing. If God is with us, then why did all of this happen? If you say you care, if you say you're here, then why did you allow it to happen? More so, where are these so-called miracles? Started with an if, went to a why, and then to a where. If you're really there, why did this happen? Where's all the miracles you talk about? Where's all these promises that I keep hearing about? Where are you if you are here? And the angel hasn't even had a chance to respond yet. Gideon comes to his own conclusions. No. Conclusion? The Lord has abandoned us. He got there pretty quick, didn't he? If you're really with us, if the Lord is here, why has all this happened? Where's all these miracles? Nope. I think the most logical conclusion is God has abandoned us. So that's where Gideon's at right now, mentally, spiritually. That's where he's at, thinking God, concluding that God had abandoned him. The angel, here's his response. I love this. Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. I love this. Please be careful what you say to God. <laughs> well, where are you, God? And why have you allowed this to happen? And God's like, oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Gideon, because you're going to be the, the one to fix it. You've got all these critiques and criticisms. You've got all of these problems that you see. Well, I have a great solution. The name is you. Have at it. And he sends Gideon, and you have to think that Gideon's like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? Can I take that last part back? The angel didn't answer any of his questions. He just said, yeah, you're up, Gideon. Time to step up. Verse 15, here's his excuses. Listen to the logic and the reasoning of Gideon. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Then the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Do you hear the logic from, from Gideon? First of all, he's making a logical conclusion that God has all, all just abandoned the people of Israel. 
And then when God sends Gideon, Gideon makes another logical progression of saying, no, no, you got the wrong guy. Like, I can't do this. I'm in the weakest clan, and I'm the least amongst that family. So I am like the least of the weakest. You've chosen the wrong one. So my words, not Gideon's, but the logical side of us would say, I'm not enough. God, I'm not enough. I can't do what you're asking because I'm not enough. I can't follow you because I'm not enough. I can't follow through because I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the leadership skills. I don't have the strength. I don't have the stature. I don't have the reputation. I'm not enough. And so often we hear that in our minds and hearts, don't we? God begins to lead us and we say, no, I can't because I'm not enough. I felt like that yesterday, like literally yesterday. Um, my middle son, Cole, just started playing flag football, six-year-old flag football. It was great to watch. And uh, we all drop our kids off, his first game. I'm getting like the jerseys on and everything. And the coach, great guy, has been emailing all the families and kids and stuff. So we get there and he's introducing himself, getting the, the family situated. And he says, so I'm the only coach. And all the other teams have like multiple coaches in their red nine shirts. And and he looks up to all of us parents and is like, so if anybody wants to like help coach, that would be great. And all the dads start doing this. <laughs> oh, I think I got to go over here. And, and I made the mistake of kind of like kneeling down next to Cole and Cole's eyeballing me like, dad, you ought to do it. And, and then I kind of out of the corner of my eye made eye contact with the coach. <laughs> Huge mistake. Huge mistake. And he just kept staring at me. And I'm like, I guess I can help. And he's like, oh, great, great, great. Come on over. And, and I'm like, let's just be clear on something. I didn't play football. I love to watch football. This guy didn't play football. And so the coach is now making me an assistant coach. And somehow, I kid you not, I ended up as the defensive coordinator for this six-year-old flag football team. I don't know what to tell them. I'm like, they've got flags. Go get it. <laughs> High five. <laughs> so here I am on the field during the game, and my wife is over on the sidelines where I should have been, just like, oh, bless his heart. <laughs> like, no, that was a terrible decision, coach. <laughs> Brian's a great guy, loving father, horrible football coach. And I totally agree with that. I'm not enough. Just as a side note, if you want to know how the game went, we got destroyed. <laughs> Our defense just didn't stack up against their offense. I have no idea why. <laughs> Maybe I'll be replaced next week. We'll see. But I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. That tends to be what our logic says. Notice what God's response was, right? He says, no, 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 I'll be with you. Hold that one in your mind because we're going to come back to it. Let's flip over to Judges chapter 7. Now, keep in mind, as we go to Judges 7, there's a lot in this story, and I don't have enough time to go through all of it, which is why you need to be in your Bible each and every week as we talk through it. There's a lot more in there. We've been doing Bible studies based off of the content and the scriptures that we read on Sundays. If you're doing that, awesome. I've heard some great stories already. If you've not signed up to get that, all you got to do, that blue card that's in your seat, mark Bible study. I'll send you an email with the, the scriptures. I'll send you questions. So that way you can take what we talk about, the scriptures we read, and get a little bit deeper into it because there's so much more in here. Um, so if that's you, mark that on your card. And I'll send it to you this week. Let's go to the next part. Judges chapter seven, starting in verse one. Here's the next part of the story. 
So Gideon and his army got up and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, look at this, you have too many warriors with you. Wait, excuse me? Gideon already thinks he's personally not enough. And now God looks at his army and says, mm, too many, way too many. Notice the reasoning, God's reasoning, not ours, because oftentimes they're different. God says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. That's a common theme throughout all of these stories of against the odds, where God actually begins to stack the odds against them on purpose so that God gets all the credit, so that we could never take credit for something. So Gideon couldn't say, oh yeah, our army's big enough and bad enough, look at what we did. God says, no, 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 no. I need to make it unbelievably clear that I, God, was the only reason you won. So let's do some math. Now, I need to give a, a little disclaimer here. I am a pastor and a preacher a great father, great husband, terrible football coach, and not a math st statistician. I can't even say the word. So if these don't add up, we can talk later, but the gospel remains true even if my math is not. So here's what we learn about the army of Midian. Chapter 8, we learn that they have 135,000 men strong. Based on the numbers we read in scripture, Gideon's army at this point is 32,000. 32,000. And that's when God says, mm, your army's too big. So if we do our math, that's four to one or 25% of the other, the opposing army. So far, I think my math is pretty close. 32,000, we're at 25%. And God says, too much. Your odds are too good at this point. So look at what God does next. Next verse, verse four. I'm sorry, verse three, therefore tell the people, because you have too many, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. If you're scared, go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only how many? 10,000. So the Midianites, they're not scared. They still have their 135,000. Israelites get scared. So now we're at 14 to one or about 7%. That's a significant drop. God looks at that, and surely if I'm getting, I'm like, God, that's good. Like, please don't keep cutting. Like, we trust you. We rely on you. We should be good here. But, verse 4, but the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring. I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. You can read the rest of that on the test that God does. It's pretty fascinating and interesting. Verse 7, bottom line, the Lord told Gideon, with these, what's our number now? Yes. With these 300, once again, the Midianite army has not changed. God says, with these 300 men, I will rescue you. Not you will rescue yourselves, mind you. I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send the others home. So now we're at 300 to 135,000. Comes out to 450 to 1, which is a 0.22%. We went from a 25% to a point. That's a 0.22%. You have a better chance if you played high school football, which I did not. We've already said that several times. If you played high school football, you have a better chance of making the NFL than the Israelites have to winning this battle. 
The NCAA actually did that statistic. They said you have a less than 1% chance if you play high school football. If you play college football, you have a 6% chance of getting into the NFL. And God looks at this number and says, ah, now we're talking. Those are the kind of odds that I like. And we're on the other side saying those are terrible odds. But notice this, when the odds are against us, the more the odds are against us, the more we are required to trust God. The more the odds stack up against us, the more we are forced to trust more in God, rely more on God, depend more on God. Up here, man, that's a decent chance. But the further you go down, there's absolutely no chance. 0.22%. And God says, that's where I want you to be. So what does our logic say? Gideon's logic started by saying, I'm not enough. If I'm Gideon or if I'm one of his 300 men, I'm looking at that and I'm saying this, I don't have enough. I don't have enough men to, to fight 135,000. I physically do not have enough. And often when God leads us to follow him, to be more dependent on him, we say the same thing. I don't have enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough fill in the blank. And we begin to say no to God because we don't like the odds. The logic says, I just don't have enough. It's interesting where Gideon started out with a little faith. I mean like doubting faith. Yet he continued to be obedient. And he was. He took the 300 and began to get them ready. Here's the next part of the story. And this is the part that we would think, all right, God, you're using like the weakest of the weakest men to lead this thing. You've, you've whittled the army down to 300. Surely you have some amazing plan, some tactical advantage we've not made aware of, some awesome like power of God fire that's gonna rain down from it. Like there's gotta be something we're missing here. And here's the plan as Gideon begins to explain it to his people. Chapter seven, starting in verse 16. Gideon divided the 300 men up into three groups and gave each of them a ram's horn, a clay jar with a torch in it. Can we just say that one more time? Because that doesn't sound like what I was expecting, right? He divided the men up and he gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a candle in it. And those 300 are going to go against the 135,000 with a trumpet and a clay jar with a light in it. That's it. You're like, for real, that's it? He goes on, he gives the instructions. Verse 17, then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, because that's gonna be super scary, all around the entire camp and shout. Shout this for the Lord, for the Lord and for Gideon. So what's logic say here? We've already said, I don't have enough. All of a sudden, it doesn't feel like they have the right stuff at this point. My dad, by trade growing up uh, as, as a kid and even into his adult years, was a carpenter. And he said something to me time and time again as I grew up in his home was, if you have the right tools, you can fix just about anything. So Brian, make sure you have the right tools. If you don't have the right tools, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible. And I look at the story of Gideon and I'm like, they don't have the right guy they don't have enough of the army. They don't have enough men. And now they don't have the right tools. They don't have the right weapons at all. It's not a good plan. It's a crazy plan. It's a strange plan. And the weapons are inadequate. 
And if I'm one of these 300, and then Gideon starts to hand out these weapons and weapons, and then tells me the plan, I'm thinking this. Here's what my logic side says. I definitely don't know enough. <laughs> I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. How is this going to help us win? How is this going to be a good idea? How could this possibly end well for us? There's got to be enough. If, Gideon, if this is your plan A, can we please talk about plan B? Because this doesn't add up. And so often in our own lives as well, when the odds stack against us, we start to say, oh, I just don't understand. I don't get it. I can't see it. I don't know enough. And the moment we say, I don't know enough, we start backing away. Because if I can't fully understand it, well, then it can't end well. So what, is, what does Gideon do? Continues to follow God with a little bit of faith and a whole lot of obedience. And here's the end of the story. Verse 19, it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew their ram's horns and broke their clay jars. <laughs> Verse 20, when all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars, they held their blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now notice, they're not charging after them. They're not fighting. They're just standing there like this and like, this feels ridiculous right now. <laughs> How is this going to help? But look what happens. Verse 21, each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused, oh, don't miss that. The Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their own swords. Those who were not killed fled to places far away and, Israelite, and the Israelites were delivered. God used the weakest man, the least of the weakest, the smallest army, the strangest plan with the most inadequate weapons. All of logic would say that shouldn't have worked. But it did because of God. So once again, what happens when logic doesn't always match where God is leading? Like Gideon, I would hope and pray that we would have a little bit of faith and a whole lot of obedience in following him. So let's make this really practical. I mean, it's a fascinating story. It's a great story to read through. We love those stories of against the odds. But let me put those three logical statements that usually move into our minds at times. Each of those, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I don't know enough. I have no doubt that right now, one of those hits home for you. That you're up against something, that you're either struggling or you've got a family situation or there's drama at work. You just see the world that we live in today and, and you feel stuck, kind of like getting of, well, God, if you're there, then why is this happening and where's all of this? And you know what? It probably just, the, the most logical conclusion is that you're just not even there. So which one is you right now? Are you, the, are you thinking in your own heart, in your own mind that I'm just not enough? Are you thinking, I don't have enough? God, if you just give me more, I could do more. Or I just need to know more. I, I don't have enough understanding. And if I don't understand, there's no way I'm going to trust. Let me walk through each of those because I think one of those is going to hit you. And I want to be able to talk to you on the other side of this from God's perspective. Remember, God's logic, not just ours. So if you're thinking, I'm not enough, let me tell you that God is enough. 
2 Corinthians 12, 9. I'm going to go through these fast, so you probably don't have time to write them. If you want to take a picture, write down the references. Again, we'll be sharing these this week on social media as well. But God is enough. Conversation between Paul and Jesus, fascinating story. Each time, Jesus said, my grace is all you need. Jesus says, my power works best in weakness. Paul says, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. I know it's very wordy. Here's the best way for me to describe this. This picture kind of sums up 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what that really looks like. <laughs> That's the point. Paul says, I'm weak. And Jesus says, I know, but I'm much bigger. So let's go together. That's the whole point. So yes, you know what? Is it true that you're not enough? Very much so. But God is with you, just like he told Gideon and just like we read from Paul's words as well. You feel like you don't have enough? Well, guess what? God doesn't need much. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 20, Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Sometimes we feel like we don't have much, and that very well could be true, but God doesn't need much. I've been saying it several times. What did Gideon have? A little bit of faith and a lot of obedience. A little bit of faith and a lot of obedience allows us to follow God even when we have a hard time making sense of it. So about that last one, if you're somebody that's saying, I just don't understand. I don't know enough. And if I don't know enough, then there's no way I'm going to trust. Let me just put this in perspective where God absolutely knows everything. Where we don't know enough, God is all-knowing. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, these are the Lord's words. My thoughts are are nothing like your thoughts. Let me say that again. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know what the point there is? If we take God and get him so he's on our level and we can understand everything, He's not God anymore. I don't want to follow a God that I can fully understand. I want a God that knows more than me. I'm going to trust a God that sees more than me. I'm going to depend on the God that literally holds the world in his hands. I read it earlier out of Psalms. I won't be shaken, not because of my strength, but because he is my refuge and he is my fortress and he is my rock and he is my salvation. So yes, I'm not enough. And yes, I don't have enough. And yes, I don't know enough. And it causes me to depend more and more on him, which is the whole point of our relationship with him. Let me give you a prayer that might help you because that's a hard tension to live in. This is what seems common sense and logical and then God leads me this way. The rest of the world is saying, thinking, doing this. Yet God is directing me this way. How do we make decisions? Here's a prayer to help. Prayer simply, Lord, help me follow your lead over my logic. God, help me follow your lead because I trust that you know more than me and you have a plan that I don't see yet and you have reasons that I don't fully understand and you are sovereign and you are good and you are mighty and you are holy and your ways are higher than mine. And your thoughts are nothing that I can comprehend. So Lord, help me to follow your lead, your lead over my logic. 
When we begin to pray that prayer, we begin to put our confidence in him and our trust in him. Just like Gideon, how do you have confidence when you've got a 0.22% chance of winning a battle? You have confidence because who your confidence is in. Gideon wasn't confident in his army. He was not confident in himself. He was confident in the Lord. And I pray that's where we would place our confidence as well. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for that hope and that promise. The hope is that you are with us. The hope is that, that you are constantly moving and working. Like we place our hope in you. Ultimately, because of what you did on the cross through your son, Jesus. That we have hope for eternal life because of the sacrifice of your son. God, I pray that you would grow our faith and you would grow our confidence as we take steps to depend more on you. That when the odds stack against us, we wouldn't shudder and fear, but we would step in with faith because we know in those moments it's going to require us to rely on you and trust you and depend more on you. May we lean into those moments and may you grow our faith and give us the strength to have obedience to follow your lead over our logic. In Jesus' name, amen.